Hello, and welcome to Spectology, the science fiction book club podcast. I'm your host, Adrian. And I'm Matt. Each month, we select a book to read and then talk about it. This month, our book is Use of Weapons by Ian M. Banks. Today is our spoiler-free pre-read episode, so you can listen to see if you might like the book. And in two weeks, we'll release our post-read episode to discuss the book more in depth. And so let's begin. That's <laughs> <laughs> me, not you, idiot. That's fine. We'll just, we'll just, we'll just fix it for the post. We'll... <laughs> um, cool. So, yeah. So this is our inaugural episode. Sure is. Um, what we're going to do today is, like we said, do kind of a little pre-read. Talk to you about the book before you read it. It's going to all be spoiler-free. Uh, we're going to try to make it interesting. The idea for us, because so Matt and I both have read a lot of science fiction. And so the idea here is to give a little bit of context to the book. Uh, give you give you a little bit of appetizer before you actually like eat it, read it. Wet your whistle. <laughs> Wet your whistle. Sure. <laughs> as a, and, and, and I should say, as a certified spoiler Nazi, um, I assure you there will be no spoilers. Rest assured. Great. Um, so first, uh, actually, should we should we intro ourselves a little bit? Give folks a little bit of a taste of who we are, or should we just be the shadowy voices behind? Oh uh, man, I uh, I prefer to remain an anonymous uh, <laughs> hand that you can see, kind of you know sticking out from behind the curtain, um, controlling you know, some puppets or maybe striking at the odd key on a keyboard. Um, rather than a real person. All right. An anonymous hand named Matthew Michelson. <laughs> God. <laughs> so the first book we selected to read, we love each other. I, th I hope you can tell. Yes, yes, that should be clear. <laughs> the first book we've chosen to read is, um, it's kind of an interesting book. It's a book that I like. It's a book called, uh, it's a book that it's a book I'm okay with. It's a book called use of weapons by Ian M. Banks. Hi, it's Adrian from the future. I'm editing the podcast right now and just wanted to insert a short piece here because I'm realizing as I'm editing it that we didn't hit a few points that we wanted to while recording this podcast. The book we're reading this month is called Use of Weapons by Ian M. Banks. It's a novel set in the culture series, although it's completely standalone and doesn't require any other books to understand. Uh, you'll hear us refer to the culture a lot. The culture is how the fans refer to the universe these novels are set in, as well as the main society that the books are set in. Um, so we'll talk a lot more about it later in the podcast, but if you're confused about what we're talking about, that's that's what the culture is. This particular book, Use of Weapons, is about a, about a man named Zalkalway. He's a sort of special ops officer for the culture who works outside their normal st social structures for an organization called Special Circumstances. Use of Weapons follows a particular mission of his while also exploring his backstory. It's a book that doesn't follow a typical linear storytelling structure, but I'll leave it to you to discover the structure as you read it. Finally, I wanted to mention that Use of Weapons is a book that is particularly violent. It is about war, after all. And it does include one very short episode of what could be off-screen sexual violence. It's not really well described at all, but I did want to mention that for those who would prefer to know going into it. Um, so that's that. Enjoy the rest of the episode here. Um, I really do hope you enjoy it and that you get to read the book and that you like it. Thanks. We'll see you soon. Uh, Ian pronounced Ian, not Ian, as I thought it was for a long time. 
Uh, Ian was a Scottish science fiction and literary fiction author. He wrote science fiction under the name Ian M. Banks and literary fiction under just Ian Banks. Um, and he died a little while ago. Yeah, very recently, in fact. Yeah, not too re- He actually, I, I was looking it up and he died in 2013. So he died five years right. ago. It felt a lot sooner than that to me, but I guess it, it has actually been a while. Yeah, I'm getting old. <laughs> it felt <laughs> like it was very recent. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so while he was both a literary fiction and a science fiction author, he often said that science fiction was his great love. He called it the most important genre. Uh, but that he wrote literary fiction to pay the bills, um, which I, which I is totally hilarious. I think that is totally hilarious. Usually it's reversed, <laughs> right? Usually um, it's actually, reversed, yeah. but he was a very popular literary fiction author. I mean, he was, especially I think in, um, in the UK and the, in the British Isles, whatever you want to call it. Uh, he was very popular and like often a bestseller. I actually heard something. Uh, I was reading something interesting about, um, how he got into writing literary fiction. Um, which is that I, uh, you know, I don't know if this is completely true, but based on what I've read about his influences, one of his influences uh, uh, was another science fiction author um, named M. John Harrison, oh. who who famously um, was a really great prose stylist and was against kind of. Um, I mean, was Har- Harrison still alive and writing? Right, that's true. Sorry, yeah, he is still alive. Um, but he was very famously against the kind of standard genre mm-hmm. uh, delineation scheme that a lot of people ascribe to. And so he that, you know, view that Harrison had that Harrison articulated certainly um, uh, prior to uh, Ian M. Banks becoming a published author may well have influenced him. I don't know about that. That might merit more research, but uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. That is interesting. I know another person he was good friends with was uh, Ken McLeod. Ken McLeod. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I actually don't know how to pronounce his last name, I'm realizing. Um, but he, lots of pronunciation issues this episode. Uh, Scottish people. Scottish folk. Um, but yeah, but, <laughs> but I know that Ken was really influential on the book that we read this month, Use of Weapons. Um, it was... Mm. I think the first book that Banks actually wrote and finished, but it was something like the fifth book that he actually sold. And part of that was because he and Ken mm. worked together to uh, build more or less the like kind of strange narrative uh, 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 style that it's written in. <clears throat> so the book, did they? yeah, oh, the book, uh, I don't want to get too deep into it, but the book isn't written completely linearly. Um, but originally it was, and it was Ken who had the idea to like break up, break it up in the way that it's broken up. Interesting. Um, and I think, I think Ken, um, Harrison banks, I know, uh, Charlie Strauss was also friends with banks. Um, right. Oh yes. And yes a lot of I've them come that. from this, you know, British and, and, you know, Ken and, and Banks in particular, uh, the Scottish, like kind of like very like left-wing populist kind of thing. So I think you'd see that in his writing as well. So that's a good, um, maybe a good time to bring up some of the topics. Um, do you want to just go over real quick the topics that you thought we, we should uh, touch on in this? Yeah, so we've just, we've just finished the first one, I think, which is giving a little bit of background of the author and sort of, of, you know, I think we'll get a little bit more into the book. Um, we're also going to talk about the setting. So the book is a part of the culture series. Um, and usually we try to read standalone books. Um, but we felt that this book was 
standalone enough. There's a setting that it takes place in, but it's a completely standalone story. And you wouldn't necessarily need to know anything about the setting going into it. Um, I think the enjoyment of the book is actually heightened by knowing a little bit about the setting. Uh, so I wanted to just talk about that a little bit for folks. Um, and then also kind of talk about its context. It's like greater place in the science fiction, like literary oeuvre, right? Like, I think one of the things that I really like about science fiction personally is how like small it is in a way. And it's, it sounds weird. I like it because it's small, but you know, the people who write science fiction also read science fiction for the most part. Um, and I think that, you know, a lot of science fiction that gets written, gets written, especially like English language science fiction, gets written in dialogue with other English language science fiction. And so I kind of wanted to talk about like, what other books is this like talking to and responding to? What other books have responded to it? Uh, and just discuss that a little bit towards the end. Um, then we'll do a little mm. bit of the kind of book clubby, like, you know, stuff you might want to keep in mind while you're reading it. Um, yeah, and that should be the podcast. Maybe a couple of surprises along the way. Matt has promised to surprise and annoy me as we go. <laughs> Sounds delicious. I mean, more more perhaps than I usually do, but maybe <laughs> the same amount that I usually do. Who, who can say? So, like I said, it's set in the Culture series. Um, it was the first book written in the Culture series, and like I said, just the first book that Banks wrote at all. But it was actually the third book published in the Culture series, and as well, he has he had published a few literary books uh, beforehand. Um, uh, the like we said, the books in these series are kind of like they, you know each one has its own kind of like complete story. They usually don't even share characters or anything. They're often set like thousands of years apart from each other. It's just kind of a shared universe that they all exist in. Um, they all do though fit in the space opera kind of like wider genre. Um, it's, you know, very much like spaceships and lots of planets and lots of, you know, I, I don't know, space stations and stuff like that. Um, and there's usually some element of like travel between those things in the books. Um, I'm, I'm curious, big fan. Yeah. Of okay. Culture. I was, I was, I'm curious, uh, uh, how much you've read of it. Uh, this is my fourth culture book. Um, okay. I've read the first one, consider Flebus, the second mm -hmm. one, um, player of games, this mm -hmm. one, which is the third one in, in terms of the order of the series. Um, and I've also read accession, which is like the fifth or sixth one, I think. No, I think that was the fourth one. I think you've read the first four. I think there's Fearsome Engine in between there somewhere. That's that's a science fiction novel, but it's not set in the culture series. It's you wrote a, couple, really? you wrote a couple of non-culture science fiction novels, and that was one of them. Huh. Cool. Yeah, that, that's, that's actually like a... So one of the interesting things about the culture series is that it is not actually set in our future it's kind of a humanoid civilization but it's you know one that exists out in the universe currently um the fearsome engine books i'm pretty sure are set in an actual like human future situation cool um and then uh so i've actually i've read all but one of the culture novels as far as i'm aware the the one that he released like literally months before he died i've never read that one and i've kind of been like saving it so that one day i get to have like a new culture Aww, book that's nice yeah i know i'm, I'm a sap um but i've i've liked all of them uh yeah i think they're all really good one of the i mean one of the things that banks does really well is he's a really good writer um, you know, the fact that he's a literary author, like shows he has characters and he has prose. <laughs> and so, you know, 
like even like some books I like more than others, but I think all of them are really good, which is, you know, kind of rare in science fiction. Yeah, that's probably my my I would say I have probably two two favorite things uh about Banks as a writer. Um one of them is just his well, actually, uh, maybe three things, and one of them would be definitely his 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 prose style. It's it's a lot more um, it's a lot more interesting. He's he's interested more in writing qua writing and literature qua literature than a lot of guys, yeah. I think, or and gals. Um, a lot of people who get into science fiction, I feel like, or at least I'd actually say least... more than a lot of guys. Like I feel like women who write science fiction tend to be like better written mm. than a lot of the dudes. That may well be true. Certainly, there are uh, economic reasons that would right. uh, <laughs> tend to suggest like only the. Unfortunately, women have had a really hard time, and so maybe only the yeah. But anyway, right. um, but so you know, there's definitely this very very strong tradition in SF or SFF uh, of people getting into the genre and that kind of genre writing just because they have, because of certain plot ideas right. or certain the very specific or the world building like, or that kind right. of writing. Right. And not getting into it for, for, for style reasons. And so, you know, that said, there is also a strong tradition of um, genre stylists that I think gets ignored a lot for whatever reason, like a lot of, a lot of the pop culture pays less attention to that maybe. Because it's harder to make into a movie, or for whatever reason. Who are you thinking? I'm thinking of? of people like, yeah, I'm thinking of people like Sam Delaney, right? You know, right. or Rogers Glasney, um, you know, guys who are very, um, or for that matter, um, uh, James Tiptree, um, who it should be you know noted every time was uh, not actually named James Tiptree, uh, whose real name I always forget, but uh, it was a woman, Alice um, something, I think, right. I will tell you, Alice Sheldon, oh, there Alice we go. Bradley Sheldon. Yes. Um, but yes, yeah, so she, she's another example, um, you know, supporting your point. Um, right. Uh, Anna Kavan is another one, uh, very much interested in literary, in things that are often associated nowadays with like the lit fic genre, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but, uh, you know, definitely a strong tradition of that. But at the same time, you know, um, a perhaps slightly better known in the mainstream strong tradition of of being very plot oriented or being very, um, you know, tech world building oriented. Right. Uh, instead of. And so and so um, Ian M. Banks is, you know, a really cool thing about him is that he cares about both things. He this, he he would say probably that it's a false dichotomy. <laughs> I don't think he would actually. I, I mean, I, I have read some of his stuff talking specifically about genre fiction, and he clearly took science fiction like seriously as a genre. And and you know, one thing he would often rail against were literary fiction authors who would like write a like kind of like science fiction novel like a one-off science fiction novel and, and and part of what he would talk about was how you know they wrote these things clearly having never read science fiction before that just because they were a good literary <laughs> author didn't actually make them necessarily a good science fiction author. <laughs> oh yeah no that's definitely true i was thinking more of um the 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 idea that on the one hand there is style and prose oh, right. and on the other hand there is plot well, that i think is, is kind good. of situation Right or or yeah or at least like you have to pick one over the other or you right. have to focus or whatever. I think he would disagree with that certainly. Um, and he's not the only science fiction writer. No, totally. 
So let's let's keep talking about the culture a little bit. Um, so I did not read Use of Weapons early on in reading the culture books. In fact, I skipped it for a long time. So it was, I think, the maybe the last culture book that I read, maybe the second to last, something like that. Um, so I went into it kind of knowing like the idea of what the culture is. And frankly, I think that makes it somewhat of a stronger novel because, you know, the action that happens in use of weapons happens very much on the periphery of the culture. It's kind of the stuff they don't necessarily like want to talk about, um, because they're, they're, you know, the culture is a very like utopian society. Um, it's a society where tech is so advanced that it's magic to, to use the Arthur C. Clarke term. Um, there's few faster than light travel. There's faster than life communication. Um, there's really strong AI. In fact, the like AI minds they're called with an uppercase M sort of run the, run the galaxy and run the culture. Um, and then there's all the kind of stuff you'd associate that with like, you know, anti-gravity force fields. There's a bunch of biological science and body modification type stuff, which I, I always really like. I really like that Ian Banks took the, thought of like, hey, if you know, if we have like all this perfect technology, then of course, people are going to like swap bodies, of course, they're going to like do things to their bodies that make them like weird and transhuman. Um, so I always really appreciated that. Yeah, this is I think this gets to my second favorite thing about Ian M. Banks as a writer, which is that he's incredibly small C Catholic in his interests. That's to say he's I don't know what that means. It means like wide ranging, basically, like he unlike a lot of um. I, for whatever reason, I at least have this thought in my mind that maybe not shared by anyone else and, and might be totally stupid, but that there's this kind of, that there are these like subgenres in SFF uh, where people focus mm -hmm. on like certain kinds of imaginary technology and like to the exclusion perhaps of other kinds. So for, for example, in one corner you have your, you know, your um, the wind up girl, uh, you know, biotech feature. In, in another corner you have your, you know, neuromancer like hacker future in another corner you have your you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and in fact you know there are really great writers like um ian m banks who do not think that way and perhaps to whom it would never occur to think that way um right because you know he just thinks about everything he he's interested in everything he's not only interested in artificial intelligence he's interested in body modification also um right. enhancements drugs um social science you know like right, every, every warfare aspect. right warfare every 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 piece of it no some more than others but but basically he doesn't really his interests do not end in a certain specific spot well and i think it's one of the neat things about the culture and why he wrote in it for so long was that it's such a big place like the galaxy is such a big place in this kind of populous galaxy that he has that he can you know write like uh you know stories that are more or less about like wizards on a medieval planet because like hey some culture folks went to a medieval planet and that's what happened <laughs> you know he can write books that are you know like military sci-fi because hey wars still get fought in this world and like let's talk about that and you know i think that's what this book very much is it's a book about like what does war look like in the culture hmm. um so uh I want to say something about the culture, which I think is is worth mentioning. If you haven't experienced the culture before, or even if you have, it's um, in the in the pantheon of liberal, left wing political science fiction. The culture has cast a very long shadow 
I think. Yeah. I think a lot of it's worth noting that a lot of people who are interested in left wing politics or even who are not, who are just interested in politics, um, will point to the culture as an example of, you know, almost in the way if you've ever heard anyone talk about the politics of Star Trek um, right. as as a lodestar, as a kind of a um, uh, an intuition pump for um, the broad like left political project in the long term. The right. I think that I think could... that. Oh, I was going to say I think the culture and start like that goes Star Trek and then the culture in terms of like, you know, left wing science fiction. Yeah, I, I just I just mean to say it's you know if you've heard of Star Trek and you are aware of that this is like that. Um, right. This is um, you know people who 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 think about these things a lot often will will cite the culture in particular as as a real. Um, huge source of inspiration and you know uh, a whole big bundle of interesting thought experiments and things to consider when you think about politics imaginatively um that's a that's a really big theme here in in the whole series and you know in in the bigger cultural right. conversation about the culture um right i think it's too it's kind of interesting that that so to 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 jump off of that point to talk about the culture a little bit more is one of the you know things about the culture is that it's run by these minds it's run by these like ai that you know like their bodies are giant ships or giant uh, uh space stations or whatever um and they have these you know kind of like you know more or less like grown mechanical minds um and they're you know they're 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 far smarter than it like any single mind like in a tiny ship is far smarter than like a an entire society of humans might be um and i think it's kind of interesting that this is the case because one of the tensions in the culture in terms of like the actual people who live in the culture is whether that's good or not like whether having these kind of like minds that like in some ways i feel like almost represent this kind of like liberal technocratic order running what is a like post-scarcity socialist like like a uh, uh, a post scarcity socialist society, right? There's a little bit of a tension there, I think, and that the the characters obviously will talk about. I think less in this book than in some other books. Definitely, I couldn't agree more. It's it's you know a lot of the kind of one way to think about how the culture books work and how the culture works in literature is that it it kind of amalgamate it, it it like it's a big magnet, you know, pulling in all of the major philosophical issues that relate to a kind of small l liberal vision of a good society mm -hmm. you know and one of those one of those huge you know er issues is this kind of issue of like paternalism like is it good like <laughs> how much do we want how do we want it to work like if if society is run by if society is is run in this in this technocratic way you know that implies expertise having this exalted position um, or at least like there being uh, some kind of, you know, uh, source of this of these technocratic decisions and that that source having an exalted position. And how does that relate to the to the other parts of society? Like right. if you've got some if you've got some really smart people like dreaming up how to do stuff the best way, what about the people that aren't those people and how do those two groups relate? And right. like, well, and especially what if, if what if the really yeah. smart people aren't people, what if like people can right. never be smart enough to fit in that class of entity? <laughs> yeah. And that's, I love that so much because that's, um, that's such a, that's such a great way that as F can contribute to this. Mm -hmm. It's like you take, you take a few points 
um, in a philosophical discussion and you draw a line between them and you like see where that line goes. Yeah. And you end up in this in the, you end up in this crazy future world where um, the the technocrats aren't even human and like and and it feels like such a natural extension of the same conversation, right? One of the things I love that's just like this little, little detail. It, it comes up in some of the books is that you know so so the ships exist in it, the the mines rather exist in ships. Like often the like body of a mind is a ship. Um, and most of these ships have humans on them. They have like, you know, some of them are small and they have like a small crew. Some of them are gigantic. They're larger than any city on earth is. And they have, you know, maybe even billions of humans living inside of these like giant faster than light ships. Um, but one, one thing that a lot of the ships do is they treat their humans almost like pets, right? Like they, they're, they're fond of their humans. They, you know, like, like interacting with their humans. They like it when their humans are happy. They like do everything they can to make their humans happy. And in a way that's not necessarily patronizing, but that mm, maybe is sometimes. <laughs> and I feel like that's a yeah, microcosm for the culture as a whole. Totally. I, it, it so is. I also love that detail. It's more than a detail. I mean, it's, 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 um, you know, when you think about, so I almost feel like that what the culture is, is, you know, the origin of the culture at least feels like, um, you know, what would the perfect society, like what would the ultimate expression of liberal values as a society, right. uh, look like right. the ultimate expression of it. And, and and you know not restricting ourselves to what we can imagine about the use of technology and stuff and in that world you know you you take all these like basic concepts of a liberal society like so so for instance um the idea that like um some people are naturally sort of have access to more than others as a not not because of let me rephrase this um some people are um some people, everybody has the same access to resources, but some people have more access to truth <laughs> just because liberal ideas are based on this kind of enlightenment view of truth seeking that, uh, anyway, that's pretty fundamental, I think, in some sense to the liberal project. And I, I don't disagree with it. It's just, it's an interesting thing when you think about it, because there's a certain kind of inequality that's baked right. in the unequal, unequal access to, um, to high, high order thoughts or something like that, or unequal access to the the highest level fruits of the culture or at the very least you don't even have to think of it as unequal but just like differentiated access yeah, so like different people want probably, different things probably maybe that's a better well, way i think one it. of the interesting um, pieces about the culture and this is i i think it's actually worth talking about the society of the culture a little bit more in depth and in particular that it's you know it's a post-scarcity socialist society and it's an anarcho-syndicalist mm -hmm. socialist society and i think those two things oh, yeah. are really key because you know like we've both been talking about it in terms of this kind of like liberal order, but it's, it's not actually, it's not actually, it's, it's really interesting. It's sort of these like liberal values almost, but with a, a society that is distinctly like not liberal in the way that we think about it in the West, right? Like it's an, it's, it's anarchy. It's literally like, you know, there's no central government. People get together and decide things. And if someone wants to leave the culture, it's as simple as like leaving the culture. At least that's what they want you to think. <laughs> right, exactly. And I suppose I reveal my own biases by describing it in the way that I have. Um, it's good that you've no, pointed that no, out. But I, I think, think I, most people would, would describe it the way you have. I think it's a key – no, I, I, don't, I don't think there's like a – it's one way or the other. I think it's actually a really key tension in the culture is that for any individual human in the culture, it looks like a perfect – 
you know, it looks like perfect communism. It, it looks like the ideal of, you know, like there's no one wants for anything. Everyone can do and be whatever they want to be. Um, but then the reality of the way it's run is like, it's run that way because of the minds. It's run that way because there are these people who, you know, people with air quotes who think about these things. Right. Um, and so you get, then you get into like complicated questions of the nature of any of these buzzwords that we keep throwing <laughs> around. Like, what does it mean? Like, how could it possibly be the case that an, a true anarcho-syndicalist society would 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 work? I mean, well, if you're if you're talking about you know um, hill tribes in Southeast Asia, I mean, part of the way that that's possible is because the natural abundance of the area right. makes it you know relatively easy to hunt and gather uh, by spending like a relatively small proportion of your time, um, you know. But like that particular economic reality is not you know something that you can something that just appears everywhere there's a reason why those societies never emerged in greenland they couldn't right. um it's not to say they couldn't have emerged in more places than they did but just that just that like there, there is a there's a real way that um economic forces impact um social structures obviously um but just to finish the thought that i was talking about earlier i'm um, when it when when you know, the um, when we think about how the 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 different people of the culture relate to each other, even in this post scarcity way. I mean, one of the one of the incredibly cool things about about how the culture, as it's written, um, you know, is able to make us like how great it is. It, it's able to make us. Um, it's able to prompt these kind of uh, trains of thought that like other utopias. Right. Which aren't as well, which aren't as well written, don't prompt. So, for instance, um, it doesn't just show us a post scarcity society where people don't have real problems. There's there's real right. um, there's a kind of verisimilitude to the problems that characters in the culture have, both the humans and the minds, and then the other people, um, such that you can really start to think through maybe some of the like you know higher order consequences of having no, no scarcity. Um, one of the things that, that constantly comes up is that, um, you know, in a world where there's no scarcity, scarcity, uh, there still exists differentiation and this differentiation between like in order to combine the, the, the different values, um, into one society, on the one hand, we have the values of like not wanting anybody to want for anything. On the other hand, we have the value of wanting people to have their own free will to do whatever they mm -hmm. want. If you combine those two things and take it as far as it goes, it, it certainly does seem to suggest as banks thinks seems to think it suggests that you know some people are going to want things that are the same thing that somebody else wants and there will be some zero-sum games like in some of the other books for instance people yeah. compete now they don't compete over scarce resources like as we're accustomed to thinking of them but they do perhaps play games yeah. together you know and only 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 some can win and you know they don't murder each other you know uh but they maybe some of them want to be in special circumstances and others don't and 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 only some of them get to and so only some of the ones that want to get to and that's it. that's actually probably a um, good i think another piece where this breaks down is in special circumstances so the idea of special circumstances is most of the culture books don't take place in the kind of like day-to-day -day life of the culture they take place in contact and in special circumstances and contact is more or less the like, uh, it's kind of, I, I think, again, actually, it's very similar to Star Trek, where, you know, most of Star Trek doesn't take place like on Earth, where everyone is happy and, you know, the replicators to build everything. It takes place on a ship that's 
charting like unknown territory and coming into contact with people who are not a part of the federation and contact is that on a much grander scale like you know the federation had the enterprise and that was about it in contact they have a whole fleet of people whose job it is to search out people who are not a part of the culture and bring them in and this is a you know kind of like a really it's a you know, just a logical expression of the culture, like thinking they know how to do things, thinking they have it right. And having this, you know, post-scarcity, like anyone can have whatever they want kind of mentality of why wouldn't you find, you know, like sentient beings throughout the universe and bring them into the culture if that's how you, if that's what you are and if that's what you believe. And one, one thing that Ian M. Banks does really well when he talks about stuff like this, which is, you know, this is kind of like a, you know, uh, this is an area where thinking about this kind of utopian society, you know, you could easily imagine different perspectives. It's hard. It's hard to say who would definitely be right. Would there be voices in the culture arguing in favor of not messing with other civilizations? And would those voices be more correct? Like who would who would win the argument of whether or not the culture should do this at all? Um, one thing that is great about Ian and Banks is that he is very sensitive to these areas where you could reasonably dispute. You could imagine, you know, serious arguments um, about whether this is the right course of action for them. I mean, that's often the plot of like the culture books that. Like, is that people are having these reasonable disagreements. Like a lot of the conflict inside of the books themselves are the characters having these conflicts. Yeah. <laughs> love it i love it so much the culture is so wonderful the culture to me is really it's like what so there's this famous like you know bon mo that virginia wolf um said of middlemarch and george Eliot in general and she said that you know um george Eliot wrote the only books the only great novels of the 19th century that were actually written for adults I'm paraphrasing, but you know, something like that. And I, I often think that of the culture, I feel like it's the only utopian, uh, like science fiction world right. that was written for adults. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's a little unfair to some other things, but like, I, I often really do think that way because it's so, um, it's so deft and sensitive in its consideration of alternate points of view and of the problems inherent in making some of the choices that are made more definitively. And it, at the same time doesn't discount its own utopian project it reminds me of like uh like john stuart mm -hmm. mill or something like somebody who's you know I, I really do often like sort of associate uh, the culture you know with some of his writings because he's a guy who and that's maybe why i use the word liberal to describe it because he was a guy who was the paragon of small l liberalism but you know in both cases jsm and Ian M. Banks culture are examples of how you think about how you hold an ideal, right. but think about it subtly. The culture series really reminds me in a certain way, or like the sensibility of it reminds me of John Stuart Mill. Um, so, so how exactly like, like I actually haven't read any John Stuart Mill, so I'm curious what you mean by that more specifically. Uh, in both cases, uh, really it's, it's a matter of like sensibility more than, more than specific arguments or something, but, um, I think of Mill as representing almost the paragon of a certain of a way that somebody can. Well, who who was he? I'm gonna I'm gonna oh. interrupt here and say like you should actually like describe who John Stuart Mill was for okay. me and for like our audience and folks who don't know who he is. Okay, yeah. So he was he's a very famous uh, British 
uh, English, in fact, um, philosopher and economist of the 19th century. Um, he uh, had an incredibly interesting life and wrote a number of very interesting and important books. His most famous book is probably called On Liberty, um, mm -hmm. which is a very short book that I recommend if you're interested in philosophy and moral and ethics. Um, it's often assigned in like ethics classes and stuff. You may have experienced it uh, in class, but it's, it's really, really good. Um, he's associated with utilitarianism, but I think often the kind of cereal box version of John Stuart Mill's uh, philosophy is a little bit unfair. People say, oh, you know, he was a utilitarian. That means that what he cared about was um, reducing morality to a kind of calculus that, you know, ascribes a certain value to a life and to an action and, and so on and so forth. Um, and I think it's he's a much more subtle and interesting thinker than that. Um, really, I think of him as a paragon of the way that somebody can hold ideals but think in a sophisticated way about them and consider their different implications and not be not be um, dogmatic about those ideals. And that's the sense in which I think he's really similar to Ian M. Banks. I mean, really, they both have that quality. They have this ability to believe something strongly, but be subtle and sensitive about how they believe it, right. uh, which I think is just that's just the essence of being a mature thinker. Yeah, you know, so the 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 specific example a specific example of that would be what you're talking about the the ways in which you know Ian M. Banks really foregrounds the like edge cases the the hard questions that come up out of his utopian vision. Um, uh, John Stuart Mill does the same thing when he considers utilitarian concepts. He doesn't just you know he doesn't um, kind of wave his hands at the big problems that people have with them. He takes them seriously and he believes maybe one way to put it would be to say that he um he doesn't believe every argument can be conclusively won in a mathematical way but he believes right. arguments are worth having and positions right. are worth taking despite that and i think i think that is a really good kind of summation of the way the con or the culture of books work is that i you know what i really like about them is two things is that they're like both utopian and it's not utopian in this way where, you know, Oh, it looks like a utopia, but actually it's a dystopia underneath it. Like, no, people are happy. Like it is good. <laughs> you know, like he's yeah. not trying to argue that like utopia is impossible, which I, I really appreciate. And I think that comes from kind of this like socialist leaning that he has, but at mm. the same time, he, you know, is not arguing that there is one way that this can be done correctly that there's like a right answer and if we come up with that right answer then like everything will be good like not mm -hmm. everything is good and you know we were, we were talking about contact like special circumstances is the piece of contact that you know specifically deals with special circumstances specifically deals when like the culture does things like there, there's when there's no right answer really and i think that's what a lot of these books are about it's when you know the culture is in some sort of conflict with a different culture, like small C culture, <laughs> you know, it's in conflict with someone else and there's no good way to like settle that conflict. And then you bring mm. in, you know, like it, oftentimes it looks like you bring in the military guys, you know, in, <laughs> in player of games, it looks like you bring in the best game players because that's what that <laughs> culture cares about. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and I then, love I love player of games. So I know you do. Player of games, player of games, and accession might be my favorite ones. Right, my my favorite are accession, 
and uh, look to windward, which I think is one of the most like of all, you know, we were talking about how literary in Ian, Ian Banks is. And that to me is the most literary, even of the culture novels. Like it's, it's oh. one that's really about the characters more cool. than any to, to the exclusion, not the exclusion, but it's, it's about the characters and it's about the particular struggles that they're going through. And I really like that about that book. Mm, that's cool. It's also, I think, the only book where there's actually no, there's, that's not true. There's one human character, like point of view character in the book, and all the other point of view characters are aliens, which usually the humans are the point of view characters in, in these books. Um, but both Accession and Look to Windward are the two where there are like really significant, like non human point of view like chapters and characters. And I really like that about those two books as well. Cool. Hey, Adrian, can I ask you some questions? Oh, please do. Please do. Please do. Yes. This is fun. <laughs> so, um, I have to put in some like question music. Like question when you, music. when you say it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, this is not about this book in particular, but like, since we're talking about the culture generally, um, if you lived in the culture, what would you do? What would you spend your time doing? Oh, geez. That's such a good question. Right. Cause you can do pretty much anything, yeah. you know, you like, could, you can you know, live in VR for instance. Right. Or if you, you know, if you wanted to become a serial killer, there are plenty of people who want to become serial killer victims and will let you do that. <laughs> you know, it's one of the really like wild things about taking this to its like logical conclusion is that like, you know, there's not even a sense of like, oh, you can't hurt other people. It's like you can as long as you have their permission. And there's always some weirdo who wants to give you his permission. Yeah. And, you know? and for that matter, you know, one of your options is to leave the culture, you know, right. Right. One of the options is to to go to a different uh, culture, small C culture. Although I do feel like, you know, the 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 non culture cultures that we see for the most part are not places I'd like to live. Yeah. You know, like I don't want to live with the the injury Indurians <laughs> or however it's pronounced yeah. in the first novel. Like, that's not a good place to be. Oh no. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think. Um, I mean, honestly, I, I think if I lived in the culture, I'd do the same thing that I read the culture to do, which is to like, just explore, <laughs> to like go and see as many of the different places that I could. Like one, one of the things I love about these novels is just that like, no novel takes place in like only one place. You know, mm. everyone has multiple spaceships and multiple, you know, so, so what actually one thing we should say is that most people don't actually live on planets in the culture. They live in big, um, like kind of ring world type situations like space stations, mm -hmm. because you can fit a lot more people in that kind of a thing than you can on the planet. Um, and yeah. And so, you know, like exploring as many of the, the like wild places as possible as meeting as many people as possible. I, I really, you know, so you'd be a traveler, basically. I think I'd be a traveler. Yeah, I think I think I'd 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 play the culture in the same way that I play Minecraft, which is that like I just walk. <laughs> you know? I like just going places and like seeing what more there is out oh, there. That rolls. Yeah, that's very appealing. I love that. <laughs> Here, I have another question for you. Okay, shoot. this is not a like hypothetical thing, but this is a. You know, when you think about um, Ian M. Banks's play, especially since he's no longer alive, when you think about his right. place in the history of science fiction, like how would you, how do you characterize it? Hmm. 
I mean, he's no longer alive, but it's also it's only been I guess five years is a few years. It's been it's been that's interesting. You know, I think that one of the things Banks did really well, and maybe this is just the way I was introduced to Banks, but I think he's a really great like like popularizer of science fiction in a way. Um, the fact that he he was both a literary and science fiction author, I think, makes it easier for non-science fiction people to kind of like get into at least some of the books. I think I think some of the sci-fi books are real freaking out there. <laughs> but but others I think are like pretty accessible. And I, I hope we chose one that's kind of like on the on the edge of that. Um I think so. Yeah. I and 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 you know I I think a lot of it just comes down to the stuff that we've been talking about that like he dared to write optimistic utopian and like truly utopian science fiction in the eighties at a time when like, that's not, you know, what was happening. Like it was all cyberpunk and it was all dystopia. And even, even into today, I mean, you know, he, he was writing up until his death, like literally um, he, you know, was still writing utopias even while, you know, the like YA dystopian thing was happening and then the adult dystopian thing was happy happening. And so I think, I think that is really going to be his legacy is this idea that it is not only okay, it's good to write like optimistic, positive, like future thinking utopian science fiction that like you should have that goal of, you know, not everyone has to write the same thing, but that it's good that some people are writing that. Stuff. I like that. I think that's, um, that's really true. And um, I guess I would add, um, I think that he is, uh, he may also, so I mean, you know, that I think that's totally true. And yes, tell me the answer <laughs> to your own question, Matt. What do you think? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so, so kind. Um, uh, more specifically than that, I think that the culture is, is has been and will continue to be a really really powerful concept in political thinking. I think it's right. it's hard to overstate how much of an impact the this and like things like it have had on a lot of different people's thinking about politics. Um, often, it's interesting. You probably like know more about this than I do, just because you're more clued into that kind well, of I think political it, it's world. Sometimes it's I. really subtle, but like if you read this in college. If you read culture books and then have an which, which we both did. right and then have an interest in public policy or political issues, um, you carry these things with you. Mm -hmm. Just think about all the ways in which people who have right. gone into science, for example, will refer back to the science fiction that they read as a child or as a kid uh, as something had an impact on their thinking. Well, politicians, I think, are the same way, or an economist for that matter. Paul Krugman mm -hmm. is very famously a science fiction fan. Um, he's right. not the only one. He's just more famous than most. Uh, <laughs> he's not the only one as we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I think like, you know, especially in a, in a time where people waste a lot of digital ink talking about how a lot of the ideas that Ian M. Banks is associated with have, um, proven themselves obsolete or something, which I think is BS, but nonetheless, in a time when people waste a lot of digital ink talking about that. I think eh. it's easy to forget all the people that are going around reading his stuff or who have read his stuff and who are then going on to be um, 
you know, important thinkers or doers in the, in these arenas. And, and, you know, I should say also, uh, apparently, uh, I guess it's like Amazon has optioned. Right. I was, I was just going to bring that up as like the coda yeah. to, to my answer is well, that, oh yeah. Well, I was going to say, I think, I think part of why I was initially hesitating to say, you know, what his legacy is, is because of this new TV show coming out. Um, so yeah, like you said, Amazon has, running a series. I think it's based on consider Flabus, the first book. Um, and it's going to be like a series based on the culture. I, I have no idea what they're doing. If they're going to like use the same characters and use the culture as just the backdrop, if they're going to actually run it more anthology style and each season is going to be a new book. I kind of hope it's that personally, um, especially be cool. because like the books really do like different books have different genres like they're all space opera science fiction sure but different different culture books have different like genres like this one is space is military science fiction like for sure use of weapons is i mean it's in the freaking title um but you know i it would be really cool to have different showrunners and different directors and different actors like playing with this same material and with the different genres that it represents i agree one cool thing that i think about when i think about what they're going to do with it is you know even if they screw it up i think it is the case that once uh material has been made into tv or a movie it's much more likely that it will be done again yeah i think that's a good point right? one of the best predictors of whether it'll be made into something or not is if it's already been made into something or not. <laughs> um yeah. so even if, they, even if they screw it up yeah it. even if they screw it up it's very uh likely that it'll get another shot or something because for example um the uh what's it called golden compass um uh oh, that series that? yeah that's becoming a tv show huh uh i believe the bbc is doing it oh I have zero. I've never read it, and I have zero opinion on it. I know people are very great. opinionated on that one. I think it's great. Golden Compass was a very lame movie, and it's cool that they're redoing it. Cool. That's good to hear. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree, and I think that you know, it's interesting. We'll we'll see how Amazon does. I feel like they're genre series that I've seen have been like, like they seem to have been doing best so far with the really kind of like small i mean like literary fiction type <laughs> series you know uh what, what was the the transparent is the one i think about as as that i particularly yeah. liked um but yeah and so I, I wonder how they'll do with a more like kind of you know serial big budget type thing hmm. um yeah they have some other sci-fi stuff too uh i have not seen their philip right. k dick show but supposedly it's uh worth seeing yeah maybe. I, I haven't seen that one i have watched uh the tick a bit because i really loved the tick tv show when i was a kid so i've been watching the new amazon version of it Sweet. which goes again to your point of like remaking things that have already been made mm -hmm. all right cool um cool do you have any other questions i do there are sort of maybe more um post read episode type stuff 
Um, okay, yeah, let's get let's get into that then. Anything too specific about the book? I think we'll save for after folks have read the book. Cool. Do you want to? Because we want yeah. we want people to read it, right? I mean, like I think this is actually worth saying. It's like we're recommending these books. Like we want people to read these books along with us and like listen to the episodes. Like you know, I think if you don't care about spoilers, it'll be fine to listen to the episode bef- the the next the post read episode after you read the book. But like our goal here really is to have people like read these books along with us. Us and to like enjoy our conversation and like have a conversation like with us. Um, one thing we're going to have uh, social media set up. So there's going to be a Facebook page. There's going to be a Twitter page. I say going to be because I haven't, I, I have them. I haven't finished doing it yet. By the time this episode releases, all that stuff will be ready. So we have a Twitter page. We have a Facebook page. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's everything is either you know, facebook.com slash spectology. And it's just the, the word, uh, or it's twitter.com slash, uh, spectology pod. I couldn't get spectology on Twitter. So it's, you know, at spectology pod is us on Twitter. And like, please do come and like, tell us what you thought of these books and like, tell us what you think about, you know, what we're talking about. Like the whole goal here is to, you know, have a real conversation with people like we're, we're, we're doing this because we like reading and we like talking about these books and we want to talk about them with more people. Word. <laughs> Perfect coda. Thank you. <laughs> do you want to do an aperitif? Um, yeah, let's, let's do the, uh, let's finish off the genres and the questions to keep in mind. And then we can, we can record that piece. Oh yeah. Do it. So uh, the, the the final thing I wanted to talk about and, and is about this book in particular, but is like where it, this book fits in the science fiction canon. Like we've talked about where the culture does, but I think that, you know, the, the, this book use of weapons is, is, as I've said, like it's military science fiction. And I think it's, you know, kind of similar to a lot of other military science fiction out there. Um, and it's, it's space opera. So it's, you know, in terms, I, I've read, let, let's actually talk about this in terms of like what we've read and what we have and what we've liked and what we haven't, because I've, I've read a decent amount of space opera and I've obviously like watched a lot of space opera. Like I'm a huge Star Trek fan. I'm, I'm actually next weekend um, participating in a Star Trek murder mystery game that was produced in the nineties based on star Trek, the next generation that I like me and some friends are running. So this, this is how much I like star Trek is I, I do that kind of nerdy bullshit. Um, that sounds really fun. It's going to be great. <laughs> I get to be Worf. Everyone gets like a next generation character. Oh. And I get to be Worf, which is like <laughs> definitely my favorite. Um, Love it. Yeah. So, uh, so, so, and to me, this is, you know, I, I mean, I think I've said this is the, 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 this book definitely, I feel like the culture often is sort of like, what if Star Trek, but flipped on its head? What if Star Trek, but the prime directive was like, you must meddle, <laughs> you know, in a way. Yeah. But it's also a lot more, it's a lot smarter in a lot of ways about how it thinks through oh, the absolutely. world building. I mean, Star Trek. Star Trek sort of fundamentally didn't really think through anything. Well, it was a like 60s <laughs> serialized TV show. Right. I mean, right. And even TNG didn't like think through anything before. I mean, only I think in like DS9 did they sort of start to do that. Right. But I think I think that comes with like the 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 format of the, you know, the kind of like yeah, yeah. No, it's not a problem necessarily, but yeah. I will I will stand for Star Trek till like the cows come home, so just 
<laughs> I love Star Trek too. Don't worry. <laughs> don't you say anything bad about it. Uh, yeah, and then you know, but beyond that, like it fits in the military kind of sci-fi thing, which is which is I'll admit a like wider genre that I have read less of. Like a lot of the military sci-fi I've read is stuff like this or like David Gerald's Couture series, which are kind of like send-ups of military sci-fi. You know, I think a lot of military sci-fi has kind of a right-wing bent to it. I think of like Heinlein or I think of Ender's mm. Game or I think of you know, the the, mm. the whole Bane publishing imprint and everything that they publish, which like most of it has definitely kind of a right-wing you know, whether far right or kind of like center right, but like appeal about it. Like a lot of the appeal of mil- military sci-fi seems to be that like war is awesome. And like, let's tell stories about the like honor in war. Yeah. Although to be fair, there is also this tradition of like, you know, kind of reacting to that. And you've got people like John Scalzi famously, who kind mm-hmm. of read these books that are, you know, that are almost like the whole point of the book is that it's a reaction against this, this set of standard military sci-fi tropes. Is that the the old man's war series or whatever? Yeah, I was thinking of that, but but now that I think about it, it's also kind of it's it's more than that. It's both that it's it's like like a lot of great parodies. It is the thing it's parody. Yeah, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I remember the the thing that that always reminded me of was the Forever War. I'm I'm, I'm forgetting the author that too. Now. But, actually, and I think I think there's yeah. been actually a really long, you know, j- as long as there's been like raw raw, you know, Starship Troopers, there've been like this is terrible, the Forever War type stuff. Yeah, Joe Joe Haldeman. Yes, Forever yes, War. yes. Thank you. Um, you know, there's there's often been, and this is again what what we said we've liked about science fiction is that there is this dialogue that you know, like you know, Heinlein writes Starship Troopers and is like, hey, let's go kill some fucking bugs, and uh, you know, Joe Holdeman writes the Forever War and is like, no, when you leave for war, you can never come home again. You know, there we use time dilation as that metaphor, but yeah, I like that book a lot. I also should say I've never read Starship Troopers, and so. I I I've only watched the movie, which I know is like a send up of it and kind of goes the movies, like I yeah. like the send ups more than the actual thing. The movie's hilarious. I also I've heard people say that the book is not entirely unself-aware and I'd want to read it before I like committed to that. Yeah, anyway. I've read a lot of Heinlein. That's maybe one of like two or three Heinlein novels that I haven't read. I've read all of his like weird, like incestual sex books and, and kind of like the whole <laughs> the whole 10 yards. Um, and I, I, like, I would hear people make that same argument about his other stuff as well. And I, I don't agree. I don't think necessarily, like if he was self-aware, I don't think he was writing that into the books. I think other people were taking that into the books. I think it's a mistake to ascribe any well-known ideology to him. <laughs> Heinlein. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Cause he's, he's very strange and he doesn't really fit into the box that you think he does. It, it, the more right. you read of him, I think. Well, he also wrote over a period of like 50 years or something. And you yeah. can tell in his writings that he changed as a person and his ideas changed and he, you know, kind of got really out there yeah. towards the end. The sixties hit him like a ton of bricks. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is funny because he helped usher them in and then yeah. like, you know, the bricks that he built got put in a sock and knocked over the side of his head with it. Yeah. Um, what, yeah. What, so what, what's, what mill sci-fi have you read? Um, uh, several of these ones, uh, that you've mentioned some Bane books. Um, some, oh, yeah, which Bane book? Uh, 
uh, some stuff that I'm when I was younger. I think I read John Weber when I was younger. I read oh, I read okay. one of the um, John Weber is one of the Bain authors, right? I read one of the. Um, and I guess we should say Bain is like a, a publishing it's a, it's imprint. A, yeah, it's yeah. not an imprint even. It's its own publishing yeah, house. Right. That's they, right. they publish a lot of stuff free online actually and have been doing so even since like before online, like they were sending out like yeah. free CD. Yeah. You could literally like mail them and say, hey, I want to read something and they would email you a cd-rom full of novels yeah but there's just there's so much military sci-fi that i've read i it'll be difficult for me to go through all of it i've read like you know yep. everything from alistair reynolds to uh a lot of stuff when i was a kid that i don't even remember the author um, <laughs> right a lot of uh what am i thinking of well ender's game all those books um uh, you know, I mean, I think you could classify the moon as a harsh mistress as military science fiction. You could classify hmm. uh, all of the um, uh, what are they called? The um, I'm trying to remember the name of this uh, more uh, Jerry Parnell book, um, a uh, Larry Niven book, a uh, more recently, Yoon Ha Lee, who is terrific. Oh, um, right. I like those. Her books are great. Um, she's really cool. Um, that's the Nine Fox Gambit and sequels. Yeah, that series is terrific. I really think it's great. Um, cool. There's just a lot, you know, a lot of different, and, and you know, a lot of the stuff that that. Uh, um, basically, I think you know, there's different there's different kind of ways this can go. Like some, some military science fiction is, is, is this very right wing stuff that you're describing. Others of it is almost just like war games. Um, it doesn't wow. have a particular, it doesn't have a strong ideological commitment to anything. It's just like, Oh, this is a fun war game. You know, it, it's almost, right. and perhaps in that sense, it, by not having something, it, not having a strong commitment, it does. It does. Is sort of, I mean, there's some of it that does it that does more than others, I think. So like you, you, your 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 David Weber's definitely do. You know your your um, uh, Vorkosian books, I think do also, although they may claim not to. But you know your um, uh, I'm trying to think of a good example. Well, I think I think my point is less that like, you know, they definitely have a right wing bent so much as like you can't write about war without bringing your own ideology to it. I mean, you can't that's write fair. about anything without bringing your own ideology to it. Like that's probably like if there's a thesis to this podcast, like that's probably it for me. Um, but yeah, but like I, I think that, you know, uh, I I'm I'm not I don't necessarily dislike the right wing military sci-fi like I I will admit that I love Ender's Game and I love its sequels and I you know I probably get people <laughs> upset about that but I think those are really phenomenal books even while they're also really questionable in certain ways. That's fair. I heard somebody wrote once that um, uh, this might be like a G.K. Chesterton comment, which makes hmm. it a little bit suspect, but like that the conservative um, writers uh, have an easier time um, uh, developing a good aesthetic sensibility because all of the best stuff is old. 
Uh, I fucking hate that segment so much. I, I yeah. totally not on board with that at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, 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 that's Chesterton. I, I do remember that. Um, folks in college would bring that up a lot. Um, and yeah, that, that I am just, I completely disagree (laughs) down in the sand on that one. Um, you know, I, I think though that what, like, you know, part, part of what I do like about like, like the war sci-fi that I like the most is the stuff that like takes the psychological element of it seriously. Mm -hmm. Right. That like, is actually like character studies. And I think that, you know, in so much as I like use of weapons, I like it as a like character study. I frankly don't know if I feel that it necessarily like nails the landing on that for me, like not a, you know, about the book. We'll talk about this next time, but like, I, I, you know, like the stuff that really try at least tries to ask and tries to grapple with, like, what does this stuff actually do to people? I think Ender's game too, doesn't really nail the landing. Like, you know, I, (laughs) there's a lot Mm. that has been written about how, you know, like Ender in certain ways is like space Hitler, but he gets to like, you know, redeem himself through, you know, through god because mormonism and everything that, that we, we um, can have a, we but can like have that's a, the question long conversation about Ender's game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know we probably shouldn't <laughs> but maybe maybe next episode um i think actually it will be interesting to talk about ender's game in the context of like what yeah. actually happens in this yeah. book but yeah, let's yeah. save that for later um yeah and you know i like yeah, I think I think I think I'm happy to to kind of leave it at that. I think that um unless you had anything more that you wanted to say, maybe we should do the wrap up the like questions that we think people mm, should keep in yeah. mind while they're reading. Let's do it. Um so I didn't actually come prepared necessarily with these and and you know I I wonder, you know, and folks can tell us as they listen to this if if they really like want us to do it. I think maybe we've actually set a lot of this up. You know, obviously like the major themes of this are kind of like war and like I think one of the big questions this book is asking and that he wrote this book to initially ask is whether a, you know, social utopian society like needs a military whether a socialist utopian society like needs people on the edge of that society like doing the dirty work in quotes um and you know i think i think that's one thing to keep in mind while reading this book is is to what degree like what is banks's answer what is your answer what is alcalway's answer the you know actual uh character in the book um, and that, that would be to me kind of the big one. And I think, I think something that we'll be discussing a lot on the next podcast. Yeah. I would say, um, one thing that I like to think about is, um, you know, as you're reading the book, um, it's, it's, I think it's cool to think about how you relate this vision of utopia to other visions of utopia that you might be familiar with. Um, something Adrian that you said, yeah. uh, a little while ago, um, you made some comparison between this and other utopias, you know, many of which are like secret dystopias. And it's just like right under the surface, everybody's like actually being horribly abused somehow. Um, That's one example of uh, thinking about the way that this vision of utopia relates to others. Um, But there's probably a lot of other ways you could relate it to other ones. I think that's a really interesting thing to think about. That's kind of, in some sense, the work of the of the political theorist is to try to think through those kinds of things. Here's one vision of utopia that I've described 
you know, at, at a pretty reasonable level of detail. How does it relate to some other visions? Mm -hmm. What what maybe are the ways that it falls short relative to the related to these other visions, or what are the ways that it really exceeds them? That's right. Yeah, I think that I think that's a good question to ask, and I think you know, in certain ways, this is probably not the best culture novel for that question, just because it takes place almost entirely outside of the culture. Um, but that's also true of a lot of his books. A lot of his books are about people in the culture outside of it or people outside of the culture who like go to the culture and like, mm. what does that look like? So I think that's pretty much it for talking about this book at this point. I mean, at this point, people should read the book and we have read the book and we're going to record an episode here really soon about it. But, you know, I kind of think we need to get into the meat of the book itself. I love meat. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> going to go eat some chili. <laughs> sounds terrific i hope your oven is preheated it is i i had my girlfriend do that i heard that entire conversation that's why i'm saying that right we're we're gonna cut that out but <laughs> <laughs> she, she came in at some point and you know <laughs> no you you weren't recording that don't worry <laughs> um great so let's um yeah, we'll be back in two weeks, folks. I hope everyone has a chance to, you know, pick up the book. I know it's available on like eBooks. Uh, you can get it paperback for relatively cheaply. It's, there's a bunch of used copies available too. So you know, please, please buy the book. Be <laughs> be good in that way um, if if you're able to. And yeah, and we 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 are picking books that are generally available for people to read because we want people to read them and because we want to have a conversation with our audience. Don't hesitate to use the local library as well. If oh, yeah, very good. So compelled. Very good point. One quick final note from future Adrian here. When we started recording this episode, we had not yet finalized our art and music, so I wanted to give a shout out to the friends who have helped us out there. Our music is done by WJ. You can find him at WJ on SoundCloud. And our art is done by Noah Bradley, whose work is at noahbradley.com. Um, please go check both them out. They both have a lot of great stuff. Um, it's really cool of them to help us out here. In addition, if you want to find us on the internet, you can do so at spectology.com for our main feed. Uh, we have a Facebook at facebook.com slash spectology. Our Twitter is at spectologypod on Twitter, and that's where we'll be posting probably the most stuff because that's the social media I use the most. And finally, if you'd like to email us, you can do so at spectologypod at gmail.com. And I will be checking that email address. Uh, so thanks. Great. Okay. So I think that's it for us right now. We're looking forward to seeing you all again in two weeks and talking about the book itself. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Adrian. You have a good one, everyone. Peace out. <laughs>